Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, I'm honored to be joined by Salma Saknini who is the CEO of Icon Group. She has over 25 years experience, including serving as regional vice president with Citibank for 12 years and chief operating officer with Razmala Investments. Icon is a leading advisor in business, uh, working on corporate solutions such as advisory and M&A to management consultancy, organizational assessments, executive coaching, uh, executive development, and many more things. On this episode, we will talk about an overview to Icon Group, uh, its many offerings, how it's structured, uh, the current state of M&A in the region, and also focus on career development advice because I know it's quite topical at the moment. Salma, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for joining, coming on Dubai Works. It's nice to meet you. Pleasure. Very nice meeting you. Thanks for having me. So where is where is this? Where are you currently located? Are you working from home? Um, currently still working from home, um, located in Dubai. Um, we're in the office, but um, you know, it's it's um, it's I guess part of the new norm. Um, most of the team uh, still is more comfortable working from home. A lot of our clients as well are very comfortable with uh, you know, Zoom and tele-sessions, so it's working well. Great, excellent. So has has um, the coronavirus and the global pandemic disrupted how you work with your clients or how have you adapted to uh, the last few months? Oh, big time. I, you know, I think it took all of us by surprise. Um, you know, part of our work is we do a lot of scenario planning and, you know, planning in general, um, trying to forecast um, with organizations, what might happen and how to mitigate risk and so on. But I don't, I don't see any anybody saw something this big uh, coming or had planned for it. So um, definitely, you know, we went into lockdown like everybody else. And, um, you know, the first few weeks of the um, lockdown, it was just a matter of um, making sure that the team is set up, we have the technology sorted out, and we're all getting acquainted with all of the tools, the Zoom, the Teams, you name it, so we can keep the communication going and just making sure that people are home, safe, um, they've got what uh, they need in terms of, you know, tools and um, infrastructure set up um, to be able to actually move on. I mean, um, you know, in, in, a, in a nice way, and, and it's a blessing that you know, we were, you know, we were digitally enabled with a lot of our services. So it was a, a smoother transition for us. Um, but again, still, it took a lot of, you know, mindset change because the team is not together. Uh, it took a different way of communicating and we needed to communicate with each other much more uh, frequently than before and much more with our clients as well. Interesting. So can you give an overview? I know I introduced it at the start, but how do you position Icon Group? Is it a consultancy? Is it more than that? And what are the kind of core industries that do you specialize in? 
So um, we started uh, ICON like a decade ago, and we started it um, right in the middle of a, an economic downturn in 2009-2010. So we, because we saw an opportunity for uh, to help serve organizations uh, on their strategy and restructuring in making sure that um, we reduce the um, the curve of downturn and help them grow quicker. Um, so. At our core, we're a strategy boutique. We do uh, mergers and acquisitions and restructuring. Uh, we started off as a strategy boutique, but because we have an opportunistic kind of um, business model, so we built it around and we grew it around the client needs. So uh, pretty quickly, we started adding services as our clients required it. So what differentiates us is we came to strategy and advisory and to this whole business from a pure practitioner point of view. So all of the partners, including myself, are people who have been um, in corporate, uh, in corporates like I came from New York with City 25 years ago. And I started at the very bottom of the corporate ladder at Citibank and worked my way up. Um, so did the other partners in their different industries. So we've actually people who have worked, um, who have practiced, and who also have consulting backgrounds. So we thought, you know, what, what our angle and our differentiator is that we bring real solutions and practical solutions, not theories and so on. And um, in a way that actually reduces the time of employment um, and deployment to the client to make sure that, you know, we do it effectively in, in uh, the least cost and the least time so they can turn around their business um, pretty quickly. Interesting. Can you talk us through some of the key milestones over the last decade? What are you kind of uh, the proud moments for Icon as a group? Uh, is it is it about your own business growth? Is it some of the M&A that you worked on or is it some of the success stories that you've seen clients kind of turn around? Oh, it's um, <laughs> it's actually it's it's uh, it brings a smile to my face because it's it's amazing. To be um, to be in in this position of privilege, and and it's a true privilege to be alongside with clients to see them in their journey of success. So um, you know it's it's a mixed bag because we do advisory and uh, consulting, and in that we've we've helped um, different clients from banks around the region to different ministries uh, deploy their plans uh, for the country at country levels for mm. ministry and for, uh, you know, big banks and uh, smaller conglomerates. So, um, you know, once you help the team achieve and achieve it quicker and get, uh, you know, witness that they get the recognition from the shareholders, from the board and so on, it just gives us so much pride because, you know, we, um, we are the success enabler um, for uh, their direction and their vision. And, you know, we became by default um, called the success strategists because our clients call us that. They see us as people who come in who have a vested interest in their success, their own personal success when it comes to their careers and lives and to the lives of their businesses and organizations. So many proud moments when you know we we've seen um the, some of the businesses that we've worked with turn around to some family businesses where 
there was, you know, this disconnect between the founder generation and the generation who wants to modernize the businesses and a lot of family businesses in this region who are at the cusp of doing that to, to be able to, to negotiate, if you would like, um, the modernization of the business mm. to grow. Um, and um, at, at a personal level, um, you know, we were asked as well from a business point of view to, to introduce coaching, executive coaching and training and leadership development for our clients. So we ended up um, in our journey buying a franchise and getting it from the US, which was a major investment for us. And to be honest, you know, when I went to my board to justify the business case to buying this franchise, I, you know, I wasn't very sure. I, you know, it was it was demanded, but I looked around the region and I saw that there's a zillion people calling them calling themselves executive coaches and leadership uh, development professionals and so on. So when when we went that route, I wanted to make sure that you know we get a re return on investment and um, we do something that is different and of added value. So um, a proud moment when we were able to turn it around and last year itself, we got um, awarded as the business leadership uh, training development for the whole MENA region as a business. So um, yeah, it's, it's great. And I think the cherry on the, on the top is always when um, we're coaching executives and they get to transform their career uh, or their lives um, and the lives of, of their families. Um, and when you see somebody do such massive change and transformation in their journey, it's um, and you're a witness to that journey, it's just such a privilege. Well, in terms of um, split and business uh, that you work on, how much would you say of, of your company's time is spent on M&A? How much on digital transformation or business transformation and how much on coaching are, are they um, equal shares in, in terms of uh, your business um, to be honest it it's it depends on the time right so um, and it depends on what's happening around us um, MA was quieter in 2019 2018 um, now it's more active so it's getting more traction because of the circumstances of what's going on. I think the appetite for M&A right now is, is bigger because people see opportunities of um, you know, merging with each other, um, collaborating and so forth. Um, executive coaching, if you tell me in, uh, in March and April, that took a lot of our time because people were stranded at home under lockdown um, uncertain of where to take their business and what to do with their lives um, on personal level and in businesses. So we ended up, you know, investing a lot of time in that. So it really uh, is completely dependent on what's happening around us. But if, if I were to forecast, we have different teams that are dedicated for the coaching and the training and the M&A and uh, consulting. So they take equivalent times, I would, I would say, in a, you know, in a stable situation, but there are ebbs and flows. Mm. Uh, and it, we're fortunate not to have only coaching or only consulting and so on. They complement each other. Um, yeah, and true. find that when something drops, the other part of the business holds it up. So just a question on M&A, because uh, I, I've read some reports, uh, one quote from a, a 
from a, a VC firm that said that they were going into hibernation and they're waiting to see. Um, you know, yet we on Smashy we cover a lot of the investments in the region and uh, all the kind of fundraising and all the mergers, and it seems to be so active at the moment. Um, do you think that? I think you explained why it might be active, but that's almost counterintuitive because it's harder when the economy isn't doing well. It tends it tends to be less liquid, less liquidity in the market. It tends to be harder to raise funds. It also tends to be harder to receive higher valuations because EBITDAs aren't as high. So why why do you think that? I can I can understand why the will would be there and the time would be there to kind of see what fits and. Um, the value might be there, but actually the deal making. Uh, why do you think it's it's been particularly active this year? Um, I think, uh, Rich. I think it's all uh, a, a mindset and who you're talking to. Um, the the mindset of people is completely different. You 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 see. We talk to a lot of uh, clients and potential clients who are saying, you know, we want to sit in cash. We don't want to do anything. We want to wait it out. Mm. I just want to reduce my costs, um, you know, reduce, uh, do damage control and wait it out and, and kind of see what's happening. There are other people who are looking at this and seeing opportunities saying, you know what, this is a, this is a game changer. There's nothing like going back to the old normal than you, that we knew before. This is something completely different. So I better be prepared. So they are investing. So rather than holding off off to their money, they are saying, "All right, I am in in let's say this kind of industry and business line, but I see growth in technology in communication. That's where the trends are. I want to acquire those, and a, a lot of the appetite is going to." Um, to firms or to companies where there's um, in the supply chain. So people want to have a little bit more control on their suppliers. Uh, because remember, in the lockdown, we were, you know, everything stopped. So companies that um, were buying goods and were relying on a supply chain from elsewhere now are thinking differently. They want to see, they don't want the disruption in their business. They want to say, okay, how can I acquire, if not all of it, at least a majority stake in a supply chain where I can, you know, be in control of their decision making and actually secure my business? Mm. So a lot of different reasons why people are looking at investments. But like you, you said, um, you know, different people are looking at it differently. Some people are it's on, you know, let's wait and see. Some people are more aggressive and they have the appetite. And as Warren Buffett says, which I love. It's like when you see fear in their eyes, that's when he buys. Yeah. And I think ample opportunity now, um, because we really in this crisis, if we learned anything, I think we really have to be intentional about creating the future. We really have to be intentional about designing it. And the only way to do that is actually for people to be brave enough to go out and, you know, design it and do something different yeah i think the quote uh, as well as be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy and uh, yeah. of course he he um recently he sold off all his airline and then he made an investment i think in insurance or something recently but we we saw um you know the public investment fund in saudi arabia invest a lot 
on low-valued international uh, cross-sector stocks. We've seen governments uh, change some of their ministry departments and do some of these things during this time. I think on one level, it's, it's amazing to see these big things happening all from home because pretty much everyone has been at home during these planning phases. Have, has that surprised you? Has, has the kind of ability to do deals and not just chat but to actually transact and to change and to act uh remotely has that surprised you with how people have pulled it off or have you been seeing that over time actually that has surprised me because you know we've um, um and and people realize that adapting to that uh very quickly uh, was you know th there was no option but to do that because you know what is the option not to communicate and not to be on Zoom um, and to be completely out of the game. So I think it, it's it, it pushed us in the right direction with an urgency to it. Uh, remember, I think you know if I think about North America, they've been doing remote work and flexible work, you know, uh, way earlier than we have. But you know, here you struggle sometimes with the mentality of the punch in and punch out. I have to see you come to the office. That's how I know, or I think that you're productive. You have to put in the time. Mm. And I think very, you know, very quickly people are realizing productivity is, is, is not measured that way, nor could it be done this way. Um, yeah, but it took me by surprise. It, it's a very pleasant surprise to, to, uh, to have, especially in the M&A side, because that's a lot of relationships um, that, you know, and that's a lot of trust building. And that's, there's a lot of, you know, secrecy between, um, you know, you're going into somebody's business and that's like you're going into the, somebody's homes and lives. But I think this works as long as you have the relationships sorted out and as long as you have the legacy and the, you know, you have the track record already done with these clients. But I don't know how long this remote work will take us when it comes to striking new deals or deals with new clients who you haven't been in touch with before, you haven't had that deep relation with them before. Um, I'm skeptical of that working remotely and online, but let's see. Um, maybe that also will, uh, will, it gets pulled off, but it's working well for the people that we know and we're, you know, we've been serving and helping um, for new business, for new clients. I think that's yet to be tested. Interesting. Um, just going back to the kind of risk appetite and people seeing opportunity, uh, kind of two questions around it. Uh, do you think that, you know, do you think that it's actually a right strategy to hibernate and press pause? Or would, it, you know, um, would that kind of, uh, in, uh, you know, decrease your revenue further? Would it uh, risk the opportunity to turn your business back on? And, um, and secondly, uh, for this region, it, you know, you mentioned New York and, and other market cities that, that are very established. So it's easier to believe that they'll come back. Uh, those markets are established and they're, they've been around for a while. And the Middle East is an emerging market that hasn't emerged. So, uh, you know, are, are people betting that not only uh, will not only will businesses kind of come out of the coronavirus, but also that this market will emerge. Uh, so it's a kind of double risk. It truly is. Um, um, it, I think what's critical to 
to, to, for us to grasp is this is not like any other downturn, economic downturn that we knew. This is not the 2008-2009 downturn where, you know, we are, you know, we had classic solutions to the downturn. Uh, cost cutting, I mean, cost cutting is very important, right? And that's what everybody did. Uh, making sure that when revenue stops overnight, you have to cut your costs, you have to practice damage control on, on a, as a company and as an individual, right? Because you, you're not sure what tomorrow is going to bring. So you're, you want to stretch your dollar as long as you can as a business and as an individual. However, to hibernate and absolutely just play ostrich and wait and see to what happens. I don't think that um, we have the luxury to do that, okay? Because time is not for, with us, time is against us. The winners of this are gonna be the people who are able to get out of this, not only adapt, because it took, you know, people take different times in terms of like going through denial and then accepting the new reality and then dealing with it. So people are but how are you going to adopt and adapt to the new reality? And what are you going to do about it? If you hibernate, you're going to kill your business because, you know, you don't have the luxury of time to do that, in my opinion. In my opinion, the winners of this are going to be people who are going to be thinking about pivoting. How are they going to change their businesses? What are the trends? Everybody talks about this new normal, and I tell them, you know, we don't know what this new normal is. If if the new normal is a is a, you know, is a person, is he going to be somebody who's, you know, in his 80s? Is he dressed up in a suit? Is he some a kid that is hip in jeans? You know, what is this new normal uh, all about? Because we're all going to play a role in designing this new normal. And we already know technology is going to play a big role in it. We already know from our habits and our new acquired behaviors, the indications like during the lockdown, you know, we didn't want to touch money. And I think that will stay with us for a long time, right? So credit cards, uh, online purchases and so on. So a boost, I think that will stay with us. This kind of communication will stay with us for the future. Mm. So if you're not enabled, you better get in, onto the bandwagon, right? Yeah. Um, if you are used to traditional way of doing business, um, this is not going to be long, any longer the case. Um, so there are definite indications of where the future is going. And if you don't hop on the ba bandwagon quickly enough, you're going to miss the boat. Interesting. But of course, uh, that you, you allude to digital transformation and that costs money and it suits in a way it suits people who are funded and it, people who are starting from scratch in terms of digital first it's it's harder to turn around an existing business um, and i'm sure you have many uh, clients like that who are looking at what to invest in um, and that you've been working on that before uh, the global pandemic but yeah with the global pandemic, and we alluded to kind of the double whammy, many of the economies in the region here were growing slightly, you know, a couple of percent this year. And now, you know, the IMF are saying eight to 10 percent. Uh, that's significant. So that, that means, loosely speaking, that there's eight to 10 percent less cash in the market. There's less 
uh, transactions, there's less value of your incumbent business. So not only do you have to change your business to, uh, as you said, keep up with the trends, you also have to do it with less money. So, you know, is, is there an argument for saying that, you know, maybe I shouldn't stand still, but maybe I should just tighten my belt uh, in a recession, focus on what I'm really good at and kind of gradually organically shift it rather than taking bets because uh, that might be hard to uh, pull off. Absolutely. I think, you know, um, and a lot of people are going to uh, end up doing that. Remember, people, you know, everybody's been hit. Um, but some people like SMEs, small and medium businesses have been hit much harder than anybody else. Mm. And the absence of a support infrastructure here in the region for them, I think we, you know, unfortunately, we're going to see a lot of them disappear, mm. right? That's why I'm a big believer in the uh, mergers and acquisitions. I think collaboration is the name of the game because a lot of entrepreneurs and, and you know, um, small and medium sized businesses, SMEs are the backbone of any economy, um, you know, eventually and the emerging economy. Um, but how do you survive to become that, mm. right? Um, and a lot of entrepreneurs start their own businesses and they're doing well. Um, we, we have to put our egos aside and we have to say, what is, it, what is this next phase gonna do for me? I want my business to survive. Is it better that I go it alone and I just wait it out and just tighten the belt, as you said? Or are there opportunities here for me to collaborate with others where we put our heads together, forces together, and that gives us more resources to go into the, the future. I, I think that um, collaboration should be the name of the game, especially for SMEs going forward or being uh, acquired by you know, bigger companies, because the whole idea is how do you offer your services and how do you impact and make value? And some of these um, services might not long, no longer be relevant. So we have to be flexible about our operating model and seeing if there needs to be a change in what I offer, okay? Mm. I need as an entrepreneur to think about it and say, you know what, let me put my resources and that you know, is not only money, that's my time and my effort into changing and seeing if I can offer a different service. What sort of uh, collaborations do you think are conducive to a kind of economic recovery at the moment? For example, sometimes uh, mergers or collaborations might um, be for cost cutting and they might consolidate and reduce staff. So, you know, you might want your team to be part of that. And then on the second side, you mentioned earlier about uh, the kind of investments to own the kind of end-to-end -end solution or the supply chain is uh, how, how do I how do I kind of stay in control of the end-to-end -end in terms of supply chain and also be have the right mindset to collaborate with another to kind of um, yeah to kind of make more efficiencies but also grow together. Yeah, so um, that's a great question. Uh, you know, let's take edutech. Right. For for instance, I mean, we are we're locked down. All the students mm. had to remotely learn. And I think 
remote learning will be with us and or at least a hybrid uh, kind of approach. Um, of course, we miss out a lot from not being on campus. But I think that there's an opportunity for universities, not only here, but especially here, to you know, collaborate with technology companies and digital uh, transformation companies, startups, and so on, to enable that um, edutech and to enable for people to study um, you know, remotely. So that's that's one sort of thing. Now, who's going to be in control? You know, um, you know, a, a small startup company or a big uh, established university that has the funds and the shareholders and so on. How do you strike um, having um, a seat on the table as somebody who is as an entrepreneur of a small um, enterprise that actually gets acquired? That's something that always can get negotiated. But I think it's in the best interest of not only the small players and the SMEs, but also of the big players, because SMEs are innovating and are quicker to innovate and to turn things around because of the nature. Um, bigger corporations, or let's take a university, might have the bureaucracy um, and you know the doesn't have the momentum to turn it around. It takes time. So having that mixture of mixed blood, the young blood, the, the, mm. the flow of ideas and so on would work well for, for both of them. Um, so on the supply chain and so on, I think um, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch because with the globalization, you might have uh, be offering something, packaging something in Jabal Ali that gets produced in China. It arrives to Jabal Ali to get packaged and then distributed to, let's say, Lebanon or Oman or India, mm. right? So now with, you know, countries putting up their walls, sort of speak to just control the coronavirus and so on, these things stopped. So the packaging alone doesn't work without the actual product and so on. So will there be a movement towards having a little bit of local um, industry uh, and so on, I think so. Um, I, I definitely think so. But to which extent, you know, we, we're going to have to see. But because of the sudden disruption of businesses overnight, a lot of us and a lot of um, business people out there are rethinking their business model of outsourcing, their business model of interdependency on others, and so on. And some people are saying, you know what, why do we need offices anymore, mm. right? And why do I need a team on my payroll all the time? Mm. Now I'm thinking I can do remote work. I don't need to be limited to the resources that are available locally in Dubai or the Emirates. I have resources that I can plug into as freelancers globally. Yeah, interesting. You know? Yeah, I, I want to go and touch on uh, another topic, and this might be a segue into the coaching aspect of your business, and and also um, also some of the your, the recognition that you've received, uh, and I'll mention that. But on the kind of uh, collaboration and uh, strategy for the business, uh, what do you think? You know, like in the past, we saw companies. Um, get really big uh, and they own everything and it's it's about dominance it's about sort of eating up the small guy and stuff like that but uh, on another level we're seeing global tech giants 
being both competitor and customer of each other, whether it's there's such um, mergers and there's such, uh, you know, um, crossover in services, there's cloud technologies, there's streaming, there's um, different types of uh, products, hardware, software, all this sort of stuff. Do you think that that's kind of another part of the new norm that it's now no longer about dominance, that you, you kind of, you know, collaboration is almost part of a DNA of a, of a modern company? Um, and does that require a certain mindset to say, okay, I mightn't actually own everything there, I might have to JV or I might have to partner or trust and um, and then leading into how do you kind of coach and uh, train for that type of executive? Okay, fantastic. Um, I definitely, I, I believe so. I, I think um, the definition of what, what works and, you know, that we have to be a monopoly and a giant in the business and to dominate over things um, has been changing. But now there is like the spotlight and the urgency for it to change. Uh, it, there's a fire for it to change. And I think we've been talking about agility for the, the, the last few years and how to be nimble and agile as a business and as people and so on. And I think this is part of it. This is part of, you know, we don't want to be the biggest. We want to be the most agile. We want to be the most um, forward thinking. We want to be the most um, anticipating, um, opportunistic, anticipating the future needs and actually jumping on that. So the conversation um, and the thought uh, process has started before COVID, but I think now um, it's actually more um, on the table than ever. So definitely, um, you know, collaboration is the name of the game, mm. uh, more so now than, than before. And how do we become agile? How do we make sure that we have the best working um, model with the least cost? Um, I mean, remember, that's why everybody outsourced to China in the, in the first case, because of cost implications. Mm. So how do we become agile, but at the same time, um, we don't compromise on quality or on, you know, on safety, on healthcare, on, on all of that with collaborating with the right people. So I think there's going to be a new trend in where um, people are going to be thinking about different also additional terms when they select partners. Mm. Um, it, you know, it used to be only like costs and synergies and so on, but I think there are new qualities and safety measures that are going to be looked into when we talk, when we think about merging our operations with others, because that mm. will directly affect um, your your safety measures as well. So it's all a mindset that uh, needs to be enabled very very quickly. And you know the way we we coach that, and uh, the way that I do with my coaching client is, you know, as you know, mindset is eighty percent of success. Eighty percent of success is your mindset. 20% is strategy and tactics. So if you're, you know, if you don't have the right mindset, um, the right way of looking at things to be able to see opportunities, to be able to problem solve the right, uh, the right thing at the right time, you, you will be left behind. And that's why you see different people uh, react differently to, different, to the same situation. You know, you and I might be looking at the same situation 
and you look at it and you see opportunities for growth. And I'm looking at the same thing and all I'm seeing is, oh my God, we're gonna die. Oh my God, you know, we're gonna get out of business, you know? So our mindset dictates a lot of how we think, what we do and the decisions that we take. And that actually ends up, you know, taking you either to um, a winning route or to not being around anymore. Interesting. But is that how you go about, you know, say um, a couple of questions here, but, you know, some of the kind of uh, bigger strategy companies, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but some of the kind of listed ones say that the, the big companies, uh, they, they, they're known, their services are known um, in terms of their finance and their different consultancy, and they attract a certain type of a company. Uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm a smaller company, what's the kind of uh, the entry point to working with Icon Group? And if it's, if it's something that I can tangibly understand, such as leadership or executive coaching, uh, then is that, the, is that an accessible point to working together? And, and then, you know, alluding to what you mentioned about mindset, uh, we hear of fixed and growth mindset a lot. Is is that the sort of base, and um, is it black and white? Are you one or the other, or what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for all the questions at once. It's just there's plenty of things to talk no, about. <laughs> that's no, that's amazing. That's a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's never black and white, right? Um, it, mindset is is the enabler for everything in life. Um, you, you know, and I, I'm a firm believer that there are things that um, we, that are in our control. And that's what differentiates when you look at people around and we say, oh my God, you know, you're successful by, by every standard, you know, you check all the points and so on, or you're happy or you got it together and so on. What makes people different is how you have been able to control your mindset, how you've able to to master, to master your own, you know, leading yourself. Because we always talk about changing leaders, changing others, changing teams, changing companies. Change is always outside us, right? And it's easier to to say, you know what? If you change this, you would become better. It's harder to have that conversation internally and to inflict that change internally. And I think that's why. Um, our cl clients coined this, you know, uh, success strategists mm. um, phrase for us because to enable success, you have to enable a certain mindset. You have to start looking at yourself and the world in a, in a different lens because when we go through life, we, we have inherited uh, from our journey in this life and we have picked up a lot of ideas, a lot of beliefs. Um, a lot of them are limiting beliefs that don't serve us. A lot of ideas that actually sabotage us rather than empower us. Mm. And we seldom stop and think, you know, I, it seems I'm like, I have the same kind of pattern. I'm not getting the results that I want. How can I, you know, how can I get over that? And, you know, most of the time we're the ones who are standing in in our successes way mm. right it's not the circumstances it's not COVID. it's because we're approaching it from a completely different point of view than any somebody with the right mindset who's able to 
with a growth mentality who's able to say, you know what, I can do this. I can, you know, I can deal with this problem mm. and I know how to get out of it. Um, you don't have to have everything figured out before you start, but we have to have a mindset where we can come to things, especially business and say, I know that I've survived this long. Okay. I have what it takes, whatever comes my way, I'll figure it out. I'll problem solve it. I'll ask for help. It's not about ego. It's about the results that will end up happening. It's about making sure that I, you know, um, look after my team, get the business results that I need. So enabling that mindset with executives helps them turn their businesses around um, and helps them um, implement and execute the strategy that we end up putting with them to, to make sure that it goes forward. Um, you know, other consulting firms come in and they actually have fantastic teams um, that come in and they write up the best strategy and so on and they leave. Um, we, you know, we're only happy when we are with the clients and we make sure that they implement the strategy and see the results. Mm. And we are so committed to doing that, that we are happy to take part of our fees in, um, you know, in a share of the results. Yeah. Yeah. In profits. If, you know, if you quadruple your profit, we will take a share of that and mm. so on. Because we believe that success really is seeing them successful, not just writing them the strategy plan and saying, thank you and adios <laughs> and give us more fees. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a different approach. I can see how the coaching part came into your business as well as the strategy and the M&A as well. So it's interesting, a different philosophy. Um, moving on to kind of women in, in, in business and leadership roles. I have a list of acknowledgements that you've received in front of me and I'll, I'll read them out because I, I think I'm, I've noticed something interesting I just want to ask you about. So GC, I don't mean to flatter you, but GCC Women Leaders Award in Leadership, named as Emirates Woman of the Year in 2016, winner of Emirates Executive Woman Award 2016, GCC Women Leadership Award 2017, Middle East Company of the Year for Icon 2019, Middle East Business Leaders of the Year in 2019. So first, first of all, you know, how is your... Um, experience being as a female leading a company in this region over the last decade and secondly the the awards as i listed them out changed from women's award, leadership award to business persons awards and and company award is that a trend is that a sign do you think we're kind of maturing into um you know recognition not just by gender for females absolutely and i really believe that you know, I, I'm, I'm a big advocate of um, gender parity. Um, but however, in the dialogue about empowering women and so on, whenever you call a group, um, you know, whether it is an ethnic group or a gender group or whatever, you know, once you do that, you're by definition um, separating them mm. as, as, you know, singling them out as somebody else. So I'm all for having the conversation about including more women on the table, more women on boards and so on, but not only to women. And I think uh, over the past 25 years, this has been um, one of the, my frustrations is that whenever we preach about women, we, we always talk am amongst ourselves, you know, 
um, you know, you're preaching to the preached, but I've seen a lot of evolution since I've been in Dubai uh, with the role of women, with the seriousness of um, the leadership roles that have been taken. You know, we went from having a token woman on board or a token somebody in your management to really looking at and measuring how women con women's contributions um, are done in businesses. And look around, we see ministers, we see a lot of women um, leading their family businesses, a lot of entrepreneurs who are leading very successful um, businesses as well. So in terms of contributing to the economy and so on, uh, yes, and I'm very proud of this uh, change that I, I was, you know, at the beginning I was only recognized as, you know, the woman of the year or the woman entrepreneur and so on to actually, you know, the, the business person, person yeah. of the year and, and the company. Um, so it's it's been amazing. It, when I started Icon 10 years ago, and I went to some of my friends, um, trusted friends and advisors, telling them about the idea um, and leaving my job as chief operating uh, officer of Rasmala with a hefty package. They, saw, they thought, you know, you're going to start what? In a downturn? Are you nuts? Um, one of the things that they advised me against was, you know what, it's not going to work. And I said, why not? And they said, because you're a woman and you're going to be employing very senior people who are men coming from, you know, different, different parts of the seniority and different industries and big egos, A-type personalities, and you're going to be, you know, they're going to be listening to you. You're going to have a hard time with that. And that kind of was supposed to get me to, you know, to step back and say, you know what, it's going to be an obstacle. For some reason, it did the reverse effect. I said, you know what, you know, I'm going to prove you wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to happen because, you know, at that senior level and so on, I think we all come to it and we contribute uh, directly. I've been blessed that, um, you know, um, my partners don't look at it this way. And actually, we, we, we contribute to each other's success. We have such a healthy relationship with that. But you know, do we get do we get the odd um, client that is not comfortable, um, you know, directly uh, negotiating with me a deal? You bet. Mm. Okay. And what happens there? I learned not to take it personally. Um, you know, when I feel that there's that dynamics, I pull out and I put one of the male partners in in front of them, and he becomes the face of the deal, and they negotiate it because at the right. end of the day, it's all about you know, how do you do the business? It's not about ego here, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's been a learning process, but I, I see a lot of change and I'm really happy, happy about it. Interesting. Yeah, because, you know, you know the, the, uh, it's obvious that there aren't as many female leaders in, in business, in the corporate world, in any region. And even on this podcast, it's, it's for C-suites or founders. And we struggle to find many, not that we struggle, but it, there's definitely less. Um, and yeah. I, I just, so, you know, that's kind of a given that it's true and it's changing, but I, in terms of mindset, do you think sometimes, you know, not just in, in gender, but do you think sometimes people feel as if setbacks are, are because of something and they, and it, they almost, it's almost a negative, uh, that they say, I didn't get this because I'm, you know, whether it's tall, small or whatever, um, do you think that that's part of it or do you think that, you know, that, that people who 
could achieve more irrespective of uh, who or what they are or where they're from it, with the right mindset? You're talking about women in specific? Well, yeah, but yeah, but I didn't want to be so specific, but yeah. Fine, no, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think what we, uh, you know, my observation, including myself, uh, we tend to think that we are not prepared enough. Okay, um, so we, we, you know, if I go back to my Citibank days and so on, you know, I would be at par with my male colleagues and we are like working hard. I would work much harder and so on. He would think that he earns the promotion way, um, you know, earlier than I do. And he has no qualms about, you know, making the mistakes and actually asking for a promotion where I struggled by saying, no, 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 let me just do more, let me learn more, get trained more, prepare more, before I work up my courage to say, now I'm ready to ask for my promotion. So I think, I, I, and I find that with a lot of women that we keep thinking that we're not, we're not there yet. Let me just, uh, let me just polish this kind of skill. Let me do that a bit more and so on, because, you know, we um, culturally, we've grown up to take uh, the indications of how good we are or our self-esteem and so on externally so we don't live it from in, inside out we you know so if you know i'm gonna be looking at rich and say okay he's not smiling so maybe i'm not saying what he, he wants me to say you know or you know maybe i'm not here and so on so i'm getting my cues from people around me and as long as you continue to do that you will always feel that you're not good enough or you're not ready enough and so on. But really entrepreneurship and, and life, it's all about a leap of faith. You work hard, you get ready, and then you have to, you have to jump. Hmm. And you have to take that leap of faith. And nobody's going to believe in you if you don't believe in yourself. Interesting. Uh, yeah, interesting. I, I love that. There's a lot of value in it. In terms of uh, culture and the organizations that you work with and the people that you coach, um, what do you do when you recognize whatever signals you receive, whether it's from the, the CEO or, or from some of the, the team that you're working with, that there, there might be a toxic culture in the company, there might be a kind of um, an environment where people are empowered and are encouraged to, to believe in themselves. How do you kind of tackle that? Or do you kind of, um, yeah, do you get involved? Um. <laughs> I, I call it as it is um, because, you know, once I'm hired as their coach, it's my responsibility to, um, you know, to help them see what I see because they bring me in for a perspective and for guidance. And a lot of times I'm hired by the CEO, okay, to coach their team because he's having a problem with some of his team, right? And once I start coaching their team, I found that a lot of the problem is from him, hmm. okay? Because he doesn't delegate, um, he doesn't like to give away control, doesn't like to give out power, um, or see, the thing with successful people, very successful people and established people is they fall into what I call their, their own success trap because all of us learn that our own formula for success that, you know, this is what I did to get me here. So if I continue to do that, it means I will remain successful. 
But really, every chapter of our life, every every new um, you know new thing that we have to do requires a different mindset, a different skill set, and so on. And what what brought you here, what got you here, is not necessarily the same thing that will get you further. Um, so I've been in situations where I was hired to guide the the direct reports, let's say, of a CEO, and I found out that he's the one really that needs coaching, right? But of course, egos here play a big um, a big part, and you have to um, know how to tackle it because the end result is not just to hit people. You want people to realize what is happening for themselves because that's the only way that they will make the change mm. because you won't be able to make it for them. You want the awareness to click. So, um, you know, in, in, in these situations, it will be an indirect. I would be sitting down with the CEO and feeding um, the input for him about the team. And I would tell him my, my personal findings. Mm. And I say, whenever there's a pattern like this in a company, it means it's it's from the head. And when the fish stinks, it stinks from the head, yeah. you know? Um, so if you if you want change, you're accountable for that. And, um, you know, to their credit, um, you know, it, it's, you know, now there's an acceptance of coaching as a very senior level. Before, people found it, especially people in, in C-level positions, found it very tough um, to, to accept that they needed coaching or to con to admit that they had a coach. And um, until now, uh, I have many people who prefer to come to my office because of the privacy mm. of that situation rather than me being seen to go to their office. Interesting. Um, and I respect that. Mm. But you know what? We all need guidance and we all need coaches because having that you know, friend neutral advice um, and extra pair of, um, uh, you know, eyes is always, always beneficial. Amazing. Really strong uh, point to leave it on. Uh, that flew by. Thank you very much for your time. And I think, yeah, what you mentioned at the end is how you started in terms of there's no real playbook for the current pandemic we're in. Uh, it's another one of those challenges. And if we don't adapt and if we don't approach it, and accept that we have to learn then it's going to be difficult for everyone but salma really thank you for your time this afternoon uh and yeah hopefully we'll keep in touch in the future absolutely pleasure thank you so much thanks a lot hey guys i'm richard fitzgerald this is dubai works where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city that business with scalability was very interesting to me i like building something that has legacy